millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the history behind it. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time round, we're looking at the video game series God of War. Which means we're looking at two very different things in this podcast, and I'm kind of excited about them. On the one hand, we're looking at the current debate out there about violence in video games and how it may or may not be necessary and what's the impact of this violence on people. And yet, on the other hand, we're looking at the universality of stories, legends and myths. You've been here for three and a half hours. How many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, but always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. Before we get going, let's have a look at what you can do to get involved with the Neon family. First of all, you can go to neonpodcast.com. You can communicate with us there and you can have a look at our back catalogue, obviously. If you are listening to this on some kind of podcasting app, please, please give us a five-star review. It all helps to spread the word. And if you want to continue the dialogue in other ways, we're Neon Podcast on both Facebook and Twitter. And I'm Jem Daduchu on Twitter. Let's now have a look at what God of War is and isn't. So if you don't know, God of War is a series of video games. And the reason why I'm mentioning it now is a brand new one taking the whole story and character, central character, in a very different direction. And actually, if you want to start getting a little bit nitpicky about it, you could say that the new one, which I've been playing and is awesome, by the way, 
you can argue that it does somewhat do away with a little bit of the backstory of the of the originals but does that really matter these are of course stories let's look at what god of war is so god of war is a series of combat and puzzle based video games they started in the late period of the playstation 2 which is the single biggest selling console of all times it was a phenomenon when the playstation 2 came out and kind of whether you were a young man or a small kid everybody wanted a playstation 2 it was hugely powerful yes there had been some 3d environments on the playstation 1 but the PlayStation 2 is when you had things like Grand Theft Auto 3 coming out, where suddenly an overhead, over-the-top, almost like map-like game of Grand Theft Auto, suddenly you were a 3D person in a 3D world, and that just take it literally to a new dimension, now 3D rather than 2D, but turned it into one of the biggest selling games ever. And there was a lot of experimentation and huge leaps forward with the PlayStation 2. And indeed, there was a genre of game which was to inspire the creation of the God of War series, which were very Japanese, very character-driven, very cool combo action games. Perhaps the most famous series of this lot would be the Devil May Cry series, so not going into the complexities of that, where you basically play this guy called Dante, he runs around and there's an awful lot of areas where you there you're surrounded by baddies and it's how many combos how many button mashes and button combinations to fight these guys would certain combinations are more effective against certain types of enemies so it's a skill based game but also it's about looking as cool as possible and there were quite a few of these japanese style character beat em up fighting games and that's great but in America, it inspired a games design company in Santa Monica to go, do you know what? We could do that. And we could do a Western style of it. And it didn't take them long to go, well, if we're going to sort of create it in a fantastical world, where could we create it? Which would at least have an anchor point to the, the common man. And they decided to go back to ancient Greece. And they created a character. Admittedly, there is a minor character in the legends called Kratos, but really he isn't like the Kratos that you know in the games. Uh, Kratos, by the way, is Greek for strength or strongest. And actually, little bonus fact for you here, it was the dying words of Alexander the Great. Alexander had forged this massive empire and he did it in an eight-year campaign where he was basically unstoppable. But then at the age of just 33, he was lying in ancient Babylon, dying. Exactly what he was dying of is still contentious to this day. I come down with the idea of it's some kind of illness rather than poisoning. But this massive empire was up for grabs, for Alexander didn't really have an heir. And so his general surrounded him and said, who should have the empire and his response very cool but very irresponsible when you're trying to lead an empire was kratos the strongest 
and then after he died, these generals that had served him loyalty tore each other's throats out as this empire descended into civil war. That's another story. But if you like that style, that anger, that lust for fighting is exactly what Kratos this character is. When you first see Kratos in the first game, and I remember playing it, uh, he is this white, strangely white-skinned, I mean, I'm not talking about Caucasian, where we're kind of pink-skinned, I'm talking white-skinned with these weird red tattoos on his body, and he's about to throw himself off a cliff. Things aren't going well for Kratos. And what the basic story of Kratos is, is he's a Spartan soldier who is so angry and so full of bloodlust that he swears loyalty to Ares, the Greek god of war, Mars, if, you, if you're looking at the Romans. And Ares basically tricks him and Sparta uh, the Spartans and Kratos descend on this village and he doesn't recognize the village and it turns out to be his hometown and he kills his own family. He's in such a blood rage that he doesn't realize that he's destroying what he holds nearest and dearest to him. And the reason why, this comes later on in the game, uh, spoilers, but this game came out in 2003, okay? So we're talking 15 years worth of of time for you to have caught up on the game. And really, oh, actually, do you know what? We'll come to the, is the story worth it in a minute? Uh, but what it does is it makes you understand that Kratos is obviously a very angry man. Uh, and what he does then after he's been tricked is that he decides to fight back against Ares. And what the game is, is it's a beautiful mixture of three different things. Principally, it's combat. Different enemies that you fight have to be fought in different ways. For example, the Medusas, they have this cone of light coming out of their heads, and if you stand in that cone for a few seconds, you'll turn to stone and feel frozen for a few seconds. So you're able to jump up to the to the Medusas and rip their heads off. The violence thing. Yes, well, we'll do more about that later. And when he's fighting the Cyclopses, he gets to jump onto their backs and stab them in the eye and, and things like that. So different enemies he can finish off in different ways and there are different button combinations. And this wasn't the first game with QTEs, that's quick time events, but it's the one that really incorporated them well. Before everybody got sick of QTEs, and they've definitely, definitely been overused, back in 2003, it worked really well. Everybody thought that this was a great game. And when he's fighting mega bosses, huge, gigantic monsters, those QTEs are vital. And it can be a bit annoying. You, you do, one of the first things you do is you're on this ship and you're fighting little, little soldiers, little skeleton type things, and that's easy. And then this massive three-headed sort of gorgon type thing descends on you, sort of sea dragony type thing. And it's all QTEs. And if you get it wrong, it throws you off and you have to start again. And it's one of these games which is hard, but fair. You always feel like you're progressing. I do remember that I got really quite annoyed with those Medusas. I was finding them difficult to handle. And so I did give up for a few days. And a friend of mine came, turned around to me and said, do you know what? That's a mistake because this is one hell of a game. So there's definitely the combat. 
Then the second of the three pillars is there is the puzzle solving. Now, sometimes this might be literally walking along some beams, dodging various razor blades that could knock you off the, the, the ground, uh, knock you to the ground, then you have to start again. And easily the most annoying bit is there's these sort of three columns with no, no rotating knives coming out of them and you have to time it just right. And if you don't quite get to the top and get hit by a knife, you fall all the way to the bottom and you've got to do it all over again. I actually got lucky with that. I only needed to do it two, three times, but I know a bunch of people who got seriously stuck on that bit. So there are puzzles. Occasionally they're annoying, but quite often they're clever and satisfying. And then the third thing is the design, because there are times when you're running along this bridge and the camera pulls out and you realize you're running towards this impossibly large temple. Like the first half of the game is a huge fight with lots of fantastical beasts in Athens while Ares is besieging Athens. But the second half of the game is in this huge temple on the back of a titan called Kronos. And when you see this gigantic titan moving towards you in the desert, and then you see on the back of him there's this massive temple, and you realise, I'm going to have to get into that. And there are some beautiful puzzles, like there's this circular area that's filled with water so you then have to drain the water and then there's this rolling spiked barrel that you have to get out the way of and then eventually you're dancing away on top of the barrel and then you get rid of the barrel and eventually once you've got rid of all the obstacles you finally can get onto the stairway that goes up and if this sounds like it's a pain it's all so beautifully put together that you don't mind it and in a way Absolutely, God of War plays fast and loose with Greek mythology. They use names, they use certain imagery that suits them, but if it doesn't fit their needs, they don't use it. Uh, however, when you get to the idea of Greek hell, Greek hell was far more subtle than the medieval hell of light. Just throw him into a burning pit. Like, for example, the guy who's incredibly thirsty and he's chained to a post and just off to his side is a pool of refreshing water. Unfortunately, the chain that attaches him to the post is one link short of allowing him to reach out and get some water into his mouth. My favourite torture of all these people in ancient Greek myths is the tale of Sisyphus. And I, I use it quite a lot. I try and fit it into the day job from time to time. Sisyphus had angered the gods and he was told that he could leave the underworld when he rolled a boulder up the side of a valley and onto a kind of flat plateau. And every morning he would wake up and he'd start pushing that boulder up that hill. But as the sun began to sink in the distance, so too did his strength sap from his body. And just as he was getting it up to the lip of the valley and to freedom, his arms would give out and the boulder would roll all the way back down to the bottom of the valley. And he knew that he would have to do it all over again tomorrow for all of eternity. You know, that's a sort of psychological torture that, quite frankly, being thrown into a pit of fire doesn't do for me. And it's these sort of epic tasks. And, and you know, obviously Hercules had his uh, tasks to undergo himself. So Kratos doing these mighty challenges, and when you finally do something that is being put in as a roadblock from a god, you feel pretty impressive. However, 
it is now worth saying that when God of War came out in 2003, it was one of the most violent games out there. You're, as I've said, ripping heads off. You're slamming swords into eyeballs. And actually, I have to point out that Kratos has been brutalized by the gods. When you see him, he has these chains around his wrists, and later on you realize they have been burnt into his arms. And this he holds these two blades of chaos, these two sort of dagger, chopper, almost axe-like things in his hands. And uh, what you can do is obviously throw him out on chains and it looks really cool in the game. But this is a man who's being tortured by the gods. And at the end of the game, spoiler for a 15 year old game, you have several times run across this huge stone bridge that's a sword. It looks again, it's beautiful design. But then right at the end, Kratos turns into a giant size, just the same size as Ares has been in the background. You pick up this stone sword and you have a fight with Ares and you become the god of war after you slay Ares. There have been a number of games. I'm aware of timing here and I haven't even got into all the meaty history stuff yet. So there was obviously a God of War 2. Interestingly, that was one of the last games to come out on the PlayStation 2. It came out on PlayStation 2 after the PlayStation 3 had been launched. It only been launched a few months earlier, but the design team wanted to suck out as much juice as they possibly could from the massive installer base of the PlayStation 2, and it worked. It was another huge hit, and everybody agreed. It looked beautiful, and it was, it was absolutely an improvement on an already good original. And funnily enough, you had the the God of War 3, which was on the PlayStation 3. And there were some portable games as well, like Ghost of Sparta. I've played that one as well. So there were loads and loads of games. And as he went along, Kratos, once he became the God of War, he was going to start having fights with the gods proper. And this is where I, I go into the violence bit, because as the graphics got better, particularly when we get to PlayStation 3, you've got HD graphics and things look much sharper now. And people had the same problem with Grand Theft Auto as well. With something like Grand Theft Auto 3, it still looks kind of cartoony, so as you're causing havoc in a city. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's sort of fun and fine, but once you get to Grand Theft Auto's 4 and 5, where there are much better graphics, there's sort of far more realism, a lot of people, including that friend who told me to keep persevering with God of War, he got turned off by Grand Theft Auto 4 saying, I, you know, now I just feel like a criminal. This this doesn't feel cartoony fun anymore. This feels kind of sociopathic and I, I don't do that anymore. And the horrible executions that Kratos descends on the gods, some of them are quite brutal. Uh, the, probably the one that everybody remembers is in God of War 3 when Helios, uh, the sun god, um, Kratos tears off his head and you have to do it in a quick time event. And then Kratos uses it both as a magical weapon and also when he's in dark caves, brings out his head and uses it as a torch. Pretty disrespectful to a god there. But what's interesting about God of War 3 is when he destroys Poseidon, there's a flood. When he takes down Helios, the sun comes out of the sky. And basically, Kratos is so intent on destroying the gods, he's destroying the world. He is a world you know he's the apocalypse basically and it does show that there are consequences to his actions and there's this beautiful scar and if you're playing the first one uh, sorry, the brand new one and you've never played any of the other ones there's a scar in his chest that's going back a few games and where Zeus had stabbed him through the chest with a sword the sword of Olympus uh, towards the end of God of War 3 there is a showdown between Kratos and Zeus, the father of the gods, where Kratos eventually just, I mean, there's no no way to dress this up. He just keeps punching Zeus in the face till he's dead and there's blood everywhere. So if people want to start saying this is bloody and gory and horrible, you're right. But is it unnecessary? I'm going to say no, because it does add something to the Kratos character. It shows him to be brutal. If all this was done with just purely magic glowing balls, which is actually what comes out of monsters when you kill them, but that's after the blood, they um they, they sort of boost his stats and things like that. Uh, if it was just that, I don't think it would be as visceral. He is this anger machine who is a Spartan, although quite how they understand what Spartans are is something different. And when he is sort of attacking the gods, it's brutal. Like when he is attacking the Titan, Kronos, who was in the first one, and then he sort of fought to the death in the in the third one, He when he rips off Kronos's fingernail, to give you an idea how big Kronos is, that's the size of a very large house. And so when there's blood flying everywhere, it just feels epic and it does feel appropriate. It's a bit like something like a Quentin Tarantino movie where, yes, there's blood, but the blood is always connected to the story or the mood of the scene. It isn't just there for its own sake. But I do take the point that there are plenty of video games out there that just use gratuitous violence. But I would argue that the God of War series is by and large both critically acclaimed and big sellers. And if you're going to attack that one, you're kind of attacking the wrong one. Because, hey, at least it's teaching kids things like Greek mythology. A, twisted version of Greek mythology, there's no doubt about that, but even so. 
So then we come to the brand new one. And interestingly, just as I said that the God of War 2 really took the PlayStation 2 to its absolute graphical max and came very late in the PlayStation 2 life, God of War 3 was one of the prettiest games on the PlayStation 3. The new one, which is just called God of War, I guess they don't want to, you to be scared. It's like, oh, do I have to have played the other four or five? Do I have to have played the portable games and the prequel and things like that? Do I have to play all these other games to understand the new God of War? The simple answer is no. But because, again, it's come out quite late in the PlayStation 4's life, it is one of the prettiest games that you can buy on PlayStation 4. And like all the other games, they are Sony exclusives. You can't play this stuff on Xbox. And you've got a very different Kratos in this. Uh, he's got a son. Now, what's interesting is you may went, hang on, didn't you mention earlier that he's all white because his family had died and their ashes have been fused to his skin? Yeah, and this is where they kind of destroyed the, the narrative of this all because Kratos had been serving the gods for 10 years after the death of his family at the beginning of God of War 1. So... Let's say Kratos was 20 when he started a family and he's got a, a couple of kids. And so let's say, you know, he's been with the fa family for 10 years. So that makes him 30 years old. And then he's throwing himself off a cliff 10 years later. So he's 40. Now, you could argue that the rest of the old games, he's a god. He's the god of war, so he's not going to age. Fine. Okay. But also he's destroyed the world. <laughs> and he's killed all the gods. So this is why... He's now in Scandinavia. So he's got a whole new pantheon of gods to fight. But he's got a son again, who's about 10 years old. So let's imagine that he didn't age during most of those stories, but then he met Freya, his new wife, and pretty quickly had a kid. That makes Kratos 50, at least. And yet he has the strength of a younger man. Now, he is world-weary by now, and his beard, who used to be a bit of a goatee, is now sort of a full beard, although he's still bald. Uh, and as a man with thinning hair, maybe I, I have a soft spot for any kind of anger management parents who uh, who are a bit follically challenged, but I'm definitely no Kratos. Uh, and as I said, there's a very faint scar on his chest, which if you know your games, it's like, ha ha ha, that's where Zeus stabbed him. But he's now fighting in a snowy realm against Scandinavian gods. And he's on a new quest where it's very simply, it's a very simple tale. He wants his, right at the beginning, his wife is dead. And so he wants to take the ashes of his wife to the top of the mountain with his son. That's the story this time round. Nothing quite as epic as Pandora's box and the end of the world. But of course, many things fight him on the way. It is an amazing game. It is both beautiful, but elegantly put together. It is... Uh, the, the relationship between him and his son, which you can control in combat, sort of. It's just one of those games where they get absolutely everything right. It is hard. I am sometimes getting a bit stuck, but I am persevering, just like the very first God of War. But this brings me on to that other thing I said I'd get on to, the universality of myths and legends. Because going back to the original series of God of War... Towards the end of the series, they have this fight. He releases the Titans. And if you know your Greek mythology, the idea was the Titans came before the gods of Olympus. And the gods of Olympus had a war in heaven, basically, with the Titans. And the Titans were so powerful that they, 
they were really tough nuts to crack in terms of a, a, a war between these deities. But eventually, I think all but one of the Titans were either slay, in, uh, slain or imprisoned. And certainly in the Kratos version, they're not all slain and he releases them again. And, and certainly in, in ancient myths, the the Greek gods were worried about the Titans. You know, if you could release a Titan, the Greek gods knew they had a genuine fight on their hands, but the Titans were kind of primeval, primordial. And there are a number of people who who think that they, they've come up with, if you like, the archaeology of myths, that probably the Titans, which are sort of more elemental, you've got things like Gaia, who's the, the Earth one, and, you know, they, they seem to sort of represent the big themes of the world, those might well have been what ancient, ancient Greeks, sort of pre-Hellenic Greeks, might well have prayed to. And as this other religion evolved from it, these new priests, you know, the priests of Artemis and Ares and Zeus, etc., would have been worried about the shamans of the old and actually incorporated it into their myths. Now, this is all conjecture, but it is interesting to show you how myths evolve, and yet... This is where it comes back to what I said uh, I would talk about, the universality of myths and legends. All of this fits really well into the world of the Viking myths, the Scandinavian sagas and the stories of their gods. Because when you look at these polytheistic religions, that's religions with multiple gods, it is interesting that if we're looking at Hinduism, or the ancient Greeks, or the ancient Scandinavians, or places like the Hittites and Sumerians. The names change, but you quite often have a god of war, a god of love, some kind of top dog father deity, and they fight, they argue, there is treachery. And actually, I think in the modern world, it's kind of unsatisfying. You can absolutely get where you're coming from here, because really what these myths are, are holding a mirror up to human civilization and society and saying, look, if the gods even can't get on with each other, then no wonder we argue and complain with each other. But at the same time, they are so human, so flawed, that the one thing, one of the good things about monotheism is, you know, you get things like God is unknowable. But it's interesting that even when you get to Christianity, you still get this idea of a war in heaven. You know, when you start looking about the origins of the devil and Satan, he's an angel, the most beloved angel of the father, who disagreed with the father and was cast down. And when you look at something like the book of Revelation, that was round one. Round two is at the end of days, when again, there'll be this apocalyptic, literally, literally, literally an apocalypse, because that's where the word comes from, apocalyptic fight between the devil and his minions and Jesus uh, and, and, you know, his followers. And the earth will be the battleground it will be fought on. Change the names. You got Titans versus the Greek Olympian gods. Change the names, and you've got various myths from all these other places as well. And what it does is it shows you how human beings, irrespective of when they are in time and where they are in the world, do love a good story. And sitting around a campfire and talking about how these these brave 
challenges that happen to a hero and how the hero persevered. Everybody loves that, be it in a modern day video game harking back or being it to the stories of Hercules or all these other tales. The oldest story in existence is the tale of Gilgamesh, which comes from ancient Babylon, ancient Sumeria. It's about 4000 years old. And what I find interesting about that is you can change the names and titles of, of, of places and, and people but you recognize the structure of the story. This is about a man trying to overcome an outside evil and he makes mistakes and he's a flawed character and it's very human. And I think that when you look at these myths and legends or religious texts, you're reaching out across the centuries and learning a little bit about how you have far more in common with people in the past than you think you do. Everybody is scared about death. Everybody is worried about all the things it's taken me a lifetime to accrue, a family, a home, maybe an empire if you're lucky. Everybody's worried about losing that. There are so many quests for immortality across all myths and legends, and what's interesting is an awful lot of them end in folly. It's worth pointing out that Kratos is eventually not the god of war anymore. And, you know, in his quest for revenge against the gods, the price is so heavy that in essence he destroys the world. Anything that he could have cared about is now utterly destroyed. Now, it's framed in the sense that he'd or this is already a man who's lost everything, who basically is because he's angry he was tricked by a god, kills the god of war. And you'd imagine that's one of the hardest gods to kill. That's a martial power there. So you could say, that something like God of War video game, which is out right now, and if you have a PlayStation 4, buy it. It is a masterpiece. It's like some of the other great PlayStation exclusives, like Horizon Zero Dawn, for example. That's just another one that's just beautifully put together. And, it, and yeah, you've got to give it a go. Or The Last of Us. These are masterpiece games which... If you've got the kit to play them, you're kind of kidding yourself if you don't play them. And yes, it is taxing. You can lower the difficulty setting. I'm playing it basically on medium. If you want to lower the difficulty setting, if I put you off a little bit on that, that that's fine. But it is just so beautiful and it tacks into, I think, a fundamental need from human beings. Kratos is one of the grumpiest protagonist you're ever going to get. He's an anti-hero for sure. He has killed more people than Arnold Schwarzenegger has in his entire career, okay? And he's done most of it hand to hand. Kratos is a violent man who is exceptionally grumpy with his child in the game. He, The amount of times he's said, boy, his name's actual Atreus, but boy, come here. Boy, do that. Watch out, boy. Boy, 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 boy. As a father of two boys, I don't call them boy ever. So you know, just by hearing that, just by the words he's choosing to use tells you something about his character. But even though he's grumpy, even though he's very violent with serious anger management issues, you 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 just see the world weariness on his face and you kind of you kind of want to give him a hug. You don't want to because he's just going to chop your head off, but this is a man who's literally seen it all. You, you, there is that protagonist in the movie that's uh, ex-cop or ex-marine, and it's like he's been brought back for one last go, and it's like, do I really have to go through all this again? Yes, you do. Well, Kratos has done that on steroids. He's killed gods and titans and destroyed the world, but he actually hasn't because now he's in Scandinavia. So, 
Yeah. That is the neon take on God of War, be it the video game, be it the myths and legends, and I present it to you. I really hope you enjoyed that one. Once again, I've got to point out, if you want to continue the conversation, or indeed if you want to check out some of the other podcasts, you know, we're already building up quite the library. Whatever app you're on listening to this podcast, please click subscribe. Please give us a five-star review. Really would appreciate the love there. Thank you very much. Neonpodcast.com is the official website. Neon Podcast is how you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Or if you just want to talk to me, I'm Jem Daduchu. The details will be below in the description and you can find me on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.